Hi, this is Pastor Rick. You ever had those moments where you needed to have a courageous conversation with someone? When you're sitting there and you're trying your best, but it's just that time. And in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, that's exactly what happens. It's courageous conversation time, and I want to show you how they talked through some difficult moments and how people responded to it. I'll give you some tips that help you have some better conversations. So stay right there. This is going to be amazing. On demand, the Word of God in your hand. You get it when you want to, so we're glad you're with us. Hang in there. I'll come back and pray for you at the end of the sermon. Enjoy. Glad you're back. Today we're going to talk about something called courageous conversations. Courageous conversations are necessary. And I've had a few in my life, and maybe some of you have not, but uh, I am sure that this is going to help you. And if you're new, my name is Pastor Ricky Temple. I'm glad you're with us. This is a simple but yet profoundly true message. There are some things in your life that will never change until someone talks to you about it. Someone sits you down and says, okay, let's have a courageous conversation. And when we have this conversation, the conversation will change everything. The way you see money, the way you see life, the way you see relationships, it can change everything. Even the way you dress, the way you look, it can change everything. A courageous conversation, sidebar, one day I was at my house and a good friend was at my house and I had sideburns. Now, this is when sideburns were no longer in. They're kind of coming back now and a beard and all that, which I cannot grow, by the way. But I, my son, grows one, one for all of us. He looks really good in his beard. Yes, he does. But me, the dad, can't grow one. So uh, one day I was at my house, and I was, we were working on um, um, some stuff around my car, and the guy looked at me, and he's a friend, and he said, you need to shave that off. That, that, that is no longer hip. The, so I went in the house, honestly, God, Went in the house, shaved it off, and I, I got no sideburns. <laughs> but I used to have sideburns. There's something about a courageous conversation where a person looks at you and says, you know, that's just not, that doesn't match or that's not good. Or this is, there's something about having in your life people that can say things to you and that you get permission to say things to you so that they can help you. There is a sermon in the book of Acts chapter 7 where Stephen is in a conversation and it, he lays out in a, in a um, very profound way the gospel and the history of Israel. And I, I don't want to read it. It takes too long, and which is one of our preacher mistakes. We often read too many verses too long. People get lost in it. So let me summarize. He preaches about the beginning of Israel history all the way through. And I'm telling you, it is accurate, it is strong, it is powerful, and it is exciting. To a guy who's a you know, Bible scholar in, in, in Stephen's day, it, would, it was amazing. Now, let me just bring some of you up to date. Stephen is one of the, quote, new guys in the block. Okay? In chapter 6, they have this problem with the distribution of food. And so they choose seven guys uh, who are given the responsibility of distributing the food. Well, Stephen, you know, gets into this conversation and ends up in this uh, sermon-like moment with uh, the leaders of the Jews. And in that conversation with them, he wears them out. He is phenomenal. He is off the chart. But it is what I call a courageous conversation where he talks about their history and how they got to where they are and how this is now uh, led to the death of Jesus because of their stiff, their hard hearts and so on. It is, I mean, it's a blistering sermon. It is strong, it is powerful, it is pointed. And it starts, and I want to read in Acts chapter 7, verse 42, sort of like the closing out comments he makes that really gets everybody 
riled up. So he starts out talking about their history, starts out talking about how things are, you know, what they, how things got, got going in history and all that stuff. And they, they're listening. And then verse 50, uh, verse 42 happens. Now, this is tough. But God turned away from them. Let's stop right there. So he's talking about Israel, right? And he's talking about their history. And then he says, but God turned away from them. Now, you got to understand, they're listening to the sermon and he's going, and Moses and Abraham. And he's just, I mean, he's walking his way through the prophets. And then he says, he, so they know he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the people of Israel. And then he says, but God turned away from them. So they're amening him up until this point. This is a strong message. God turned away from them, he said, and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. Pause. This guy is having a conversation, and in this conversation, he is blistering at this point. Up to now, it's, it gets a little bit rough in some spots. If you read the whole chapter, you'll see it. But when you get down to verse 42, he said, but God turned from them. God rejected them. Now, that's hard to hear. God met with all these folks, and he doesn't stop. He said, this agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness? People of Israel, question. While he, when he gives the history, he says, were you guys faithful in the wilderness? That's the question, right? So he points out to them, he says, there is a problem that you have not faced. And let's have a courageous conversation. God had to give up on you because you wouldn't stop worshiping idols. You would not stop. Therefore, he says, God turned you over. And by the way, were you faithful in the wilderness for 40 years? You know, you were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Were you faithful? Now, they're listening to this, right? And they are, they're, 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 they're getting, now they're turning because he has um, insulted them. They were yet cheering him on up until this verse. Did, did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness? You have taken up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephi the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Strong words. He says, you turned away from God, and that's why God sent you into captivity in Babylon. Silence. You weren't faithful to God in the wilderness. You ended up in Babylon, and that's 597 B.C., by the way, just for the records, if you want to know. You went, to, you went to Babylon in slavery as a nation in 597 B.C. because of your rebellion against God. That's a courageous conversation. Makes you want to clear your eyes and say, okay, God, let me get my eyes right so I can see. Did he really say that? Let me look in here and see. Let me, let me see. Yeah, he said it. Yeah, he said it. Without apology, he said it. So how do you apply this to church? What does that have to do with us? The question is, have we done the same thing? Have we turned from God? Have we gotten away from God? Have we gotten to a place where we're not really connected to him? 
and we put more emphasis on stuff. Three interesting facts in this story that to me stand out that I think are interesting. Number one, he starts out in, this, in, in telling the story in chapter 7 by saying they were in the promised land. Catch this. They were in the promised land. Now, they're not in the promised land, but they were in the promised land. What caused them to not be in the promised land? This is the greatest conversation. He wants to sit down. Let's sit down and let's have a conversation about why you were in the promised land. You know, right now, Israel, right, is fighting to have the right to be in the promised land that they believe is. is and by the way, the land that they are occupying is way less than the land he promised them. But that's another conversation. But notice with me, and I'm not trying to say, please breathe, take a breath. I'm not saying ignore the Palestinians. I'm not, I'm not getting into that fight. I'm simply saying historically the land that, that, that was promised to them is larger. But that's not the point. We can all get along and live together. I'm just making a point that the reason this all happened because, was because they were in the promised land as a nation and they rebelled against God in the promised land and they were therefore put out of the promised land. You can be in a place God blessed you to be in. You know, I've seen this with pastors. You're in the church God, you know, wanted you to be in, the people, but because of idol worship, you're getting put out. You're in the job that God wanted you to have, but because you got out, went astray, you lost that. See, notice they're now being told you're going to lose something, and this is, the, this is the history that Stephen is recounting for the Jewish leaders. And in this conversation he's having with them, he's down now to the part that says, you guys brought this on yourself. Now, that's an honest conversation. What have you brought on yourself? Whoa, man, you know, in this season we've been in, I wonder, you know, what do we bring on ourselves? What part of this is tied to us? What part of that? What part of that? And it's a lot I can say about that. A lot I can say about the potential challenge we face going forward because of some of the choices we've made. And this is about that. They were in the promised land, but were sent into exile because of idol worship. I don't know if you knew this or not. When they went to Babylon, only 10,000 people went with them. It wasn't the whole nation. It wasn't until the Assyrians came along in 722 B.C that you see Israel basically disappears, 722 B.C. So here they are as a nation. Here they are as a people. God's blessed them. You know, Saul, David, all this stuff. The kingdom rises. It's amazing. And then by 722 B.C., 722 years before Christ, they're gone as a nation. You can't find them. There's no longer a centralized government like it was under David or Saul. So what happened? They began to fall away from God, and it led to this, this result. If you and I can have an honest conversation, if you stay on certain roads, if you start worshiping certain things, cars, success, blah, 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 those are nice things. I got a few of those things, okay? But the problem is when you put that above God, we have a problem. So let's talk about where they worship. Let's talk about what happened. The first thing I want you to notice was we talked about what they worshiped, right? They worshiped idols. That's what got them in trouble. 
Look what Solomon said in verse 47. This is interesting because in, in this text, there is this conversation that really kind of just comes alive. It's Acts chapter 7. Make sure I got it right here. Verse 47. He said, but as it was, as it was Solomon who built a house for him. Pause right there. Notice with me, in Solomon's day, Stephen says, they, they built a house for God. The, and, and this is important because he says this, verse 40, 48, however, the most high does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet said. Now, this is important for us to hear because th- th- there is this emphasis that rises in Solomon's day that says worship is in a building. That so they build a house for God, the house of God, the temple, and it's magnificent. It's phenomenal, right? Verse 49, he said, I'm sorry, I'm looking for verse 48. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. So the conversation that, that he's having with them is, first of all, let's be clear, you guys messed up in history and started worshiping idols. Secondly, let's be clear that not only did you start worshiping idols, let's be clear what God said to Solomon about what he built. Because what happens is your issue is the same as their issue. Their issue was worshiping idols and it was other gods. But if you're not careful, your issue becomes the worship of this stuff. Temples like Solomon built. Worship centers. So here's what he says. The Most High, verse 48, does not live in houses made by human hands. Now, that makes us nervous, especially if you're in a building program, because you call it the house of God. That's where I'm at now. It's fine. Great. I dedicate this to God. Romans 14 says it's wonderful. It's fine. But the problem comes in when you assume that this is the only place that God dwells. I think that's why Paul said your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God lives inside of you. And there's this real, and I'm not diminishing the value of church gathering together in Hebrews 10. I'm not against any of that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We should gather together. We should have church. There's a model of it in scripture. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's when it becomes an idol. That's a problem. That's the reason for this courageous conversation. Verse 49. Here's what God said to kind of make it plain. And I want, I want to say this to you as I, 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 I drink a cool drink here. Mm. That point's so good, you got to drink something. There's, there's this amazing message he's about to say. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. Imagine that in your mind. Heaven, all of it, is my throne. I'm sitting on heaven. And I want you to understand, the earth is where I put my feet up. I'm trying to give you a picture of why I don't dwell in stuff you build and why you shouldn't worship that. It's about me. It's not about the buildings you build. I'm not against buildings. You get the point. Don't get unbalanced here. He said, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? You can't build anything big enough for me. (laughs) Or will my resting place be something you build. Has not my hands, God says, made all things. That's God having a courageous conversation with you and I, especially during this season. And there's something about just understanding that. I mean, it's, it's, 
When you put worship in the right spot, in the right place, it helps. Now, let's finally talk about one more thing. You ready? Let's talk about what really happened to the worship. Now, Stephen is having a conversation. He starts out really great with all the leaders, gives them a great thing. They're all excited. He says, okay, guys, let me tell you what's going on. Lays it out for them. They get the, the Lord touched and moved through Moses. And he went through history and he starts swimming through all of the history of Israel. And then he gets to a point, he says, but you turned. And you can do the same thing. You know, he's raised in church, prayed, mama prayed over you, all that. But then you turned. And then he says, when you turn, you began to worship the buildings that you met in. You began to worship the stuff and the ceremonies and the traditions that you developed, and that became your worship more than me. But you can't build anything, he says, bigger than me. So Stephen's having this conversation with the, with the religious leaders, and he concludes by saying, you are, verse 51, stiff-necked. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are, you are, you, <laughs> you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Pause right there. This is a verbal beatdown. This is a conversation that's elevated now, and he is mad. He's challenging them because they have, in his mind, gotten off. And so in this conversation, Stephen says, basically, you are stiff-necked, which means God couldn't get you to turn your neck if you wanted to. It's like stiff neck. You won't turn your neck. You won't think a new thought. You won't try it a new way. Some of you pastors are really struggling with the digital, aren't you? Yeah. Got to be careful that you're not stiff neck. Got to be careful. You got to be careful. You got, you've got to be, we've got to all be careful. There is a need for us to physically gather. There is a need for us to find a safe way to do that. But when we do gather, we have to make sure we're doing it right. We can't be stiff necked and not take the precautions and do what we should do. There's something about that. So he says, you guys are stiff-necked. Secondly, he says, you're uncircumcised. Now, that, that alone is a cuss word with these folks because to be uncircumcised uh, goes back to Genesis 17 where God told, told um, um, I can get his name in a minute, Abraham, I want you to circumcise every grown male, every male child on eight days after birth because... That's a sign of my covenant. I'm going to cut him in his flesh and in his most personal and intimate moments in his life with his wife. And when he goes to the restroom several times a day, he's going to remember he's in covenant with God. See, God knows how to mark you. I don't want you to forget it. You're in covenant with me. Well, so circumcision was something that was done to, to boys to say this family is in covenant with God. So to call a Jew an uncircumcised person was like really cussing. You're uncircumcised, and he gets specific. He says, you're not just uncircumcised. You're uncircumcised, he says, in hearts and ears. The center of your soul, your heart, the center of your attention is, is out of covenant with God. Your ears, you don't even hear God. You're out of covenant with God. They were ignoring God. That's what he was saying. To the religious leaders, he's saying this. Saul, the apostle, is standing there. The Sanhedrin, is, all these people are standing there and this guy is railing on them and he says, and they resisted God's efforts to reach them. Which of the prophets did you not resist? Look at verse 51. He said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Which, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? Your mama and your daddy did the same thing. Boy, he getting out. <laughs> this, this, 
This is a tough conversation. They killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was not given through angels, but have not obeyed it. I'm sorry. You, ha you have received, brother, the law that was given, get it right here, through the angels. God did give you the word, right? He gave you a message. He gave you the law. But he said, you, you've not obeyed it. You persecuted people. You refused to listen. You're a mess. Now, I, I'm not going to read the rest of it. You can read it on your own, the rest of chapter 7, starting in verse 54. Basically, the Bible says they ran at him, holding their ears and screaming at the top of their lungs. One more time. <clears throat> they were so touched by what he did, they were so angry. They ran at him, holding their ears and screaming at the top of their lungs. They dragged him out. And they stoned him to death. And he prayed this prayer while they stoned him. Lord, forgive them. What an amazing dude. Now, I'm just going to say, that's a conversation. I am not advising you to go have conversations with people that make them so mad that they hit you with rocks. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, you want to see a courageous conversation? That's one. Can anybody talk to you like this? Can anybody tell you the truth? Can anybody look at you and say, you, you cause all this? You with your drinking in the family. You, you caused all this. You, you're the reason why these girls, you raped these girls. You did all this. You're the one. You're the reason. You're the reason. Don't turn the channel. You're the one. You did this. You caused this strife. You're the one who's always lying, not telling the truth. Can, can someone have a courageous conversation with you and get you to, for a moment, just for a moment, say, the truth is, fill in the blanks. You know better. The truth is. They knew better. Here's the point. They're religious people. What a group. They killed Jesus, and now they're going to kill Stephen. There's something about these moments with God where everything is put on the table and everything changes. I want to give you a book I want you to get. It's a good book, something that this will kind of help you. It's called Fierce Conversations. Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. Achieving Success at Work. And at life, one conversation at a time. For some of you, this is what you need. You need someone in your life that will have, will have a courageous conversation with you. She gives some principles that I thought were interesting. I'm going to kind of just tell you what they are and pray for you. Here's what she said, number one. Master the courage to interrogate reality. Master the courage to interrogate reality. You need to make, make sure you can sit down with reality and say, this is the truth. Interrogate reality. Number two, come out from behind yourself in the conversation and make it real. Come out from behind you. You're hiding behind yourself. Come out from, come out from behind you and let's have a real conversation. Let's not make up stuff. Make it real. You've, you've listened to people, counselors. I've done, I do a lot of counseling. And you see people, they're hiding behind themselves. They won't tell the truth. And so you can't help them. Thirdly, she said, be here. Prepared. <laughs> My daughter likes to say, be present. Are you here? Right now, are you here? Are you somewhere else? Number four, tackle your toughest challenges today. Not tomorrow, today. What is it that you need to tackle today? 
And sometimes here's what you can do. Have a conversation with yourself if you can't have it with anybody else. Start there. I do it all the time. I pray all the time. God, here's my issue. Tackle it today, though. Number five, obey your instincts. Don't just trust your instincts, she said. Obey them. Your radar screen works perfectly. It's, it's the operator who is in question. That's you, the operator. Trust your instincts. You feel it. You know it. I'm telling you the truth. Number six, take responsibility for your emotional wake. W-A-K-E. I love this. An emotional wake. Sometimes, you know, boats, when they go through the water and they go <laughs> in the wake of the boat, that it, it, it comes through the water. And if it goes too fast, the wake, the, the, um, the tide will rise and, and, and it, will, it will cause this wake outside the boat. And it can really, if you're a small boat and a big boat comes by, the wake alone can topple, topple you. Take responsibility for your emotional wake. There are moments when you can say something. There are moments when you can do something as a leader that can cause a wake in your organization, can destroy everything. Admit it. When you come in the house, you cause a wake. The whole family just shudders because here comes dad, here comes mom. You're cussing, you're yelling. Why is the house ain't clean? Why is the house? Why is this house ain't mess? It's a messed up house. I work all day and I'm coming in and praise God. Let's stop all that. Stop. Time out. Man, you, you, woman, God, you wrecking everything. Emotional wake. Pastor fussing all the time, grunting at people in your preaching. <laughs> Lastly, let silence do the heavy lifting. Sometimes you need to stop talking. Let silence do the heavy lifting. Stop talking. Just pause. <laughs> Just pause the train. You know, I believe, I believe with all my heart sometimes in life, people are um, just not aware of the damage they've done. And there was a guy who did a lot of damage in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul. The wake he brought in the church was horrible, caused tremendous damage. And we're going to learn something about how God helped him turn that around. So I want you to join me next time as I continue this thought. And I want you to look at your life and I want you to ask yourself, what am I doing? What, 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 what conversation does God need to have with me that I really need to pay attention to? Let's pray. Father, I pray for those who've heard this message today. Let it be an inspirational moment that inspires them to hear the truth and say, I get it. I get it. I get it. My life my world that I live in needs a touch of God. Heal, O oh God, your people today. Bring grace and, and deliverance to them. May they see the truth. May they open their hearts to a courageous conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for allowing me to share the word of God with you today. I want to encourage you to do something. If you heard this message and you realize that you're not walking with God, let's have a courageous moment. You need to pray with me. You need to invite Jesus to come into your life and say, this is the day I need to make just a, a step toward the living God. So let's pray. Father, let this be a courageous moment for them where they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Let it be a transforming moment where they invite you to make the difference in their life. I declare this and I declare it and I, I, I pray that they would would respond with an open heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I pray you got the message. I pray you're clear about the importance of 
conversations that are tough sometimes, fierce conversations that force you to sit down and have an honest look. Stephen was a man who had an honest conversation and I wanna pray for you that you can have one. Father, help us today be open to honest conversations, fierce conversations that challenge us to realign our values, to see our sin, to see our failures. I pray God that the hand of God would give peace to those who are trying, peace to those who are frustrated because they feel they can't have those conversations. And I ask your grace on them in Jesus' name. Thanks for being with us on demand. And I want you to be wise in your conversations. Be open to hear the other side. But sometimes to get to where you need to be, you got to have courageous conversations. See you next time. Bye-bye.